people of Adland. Do you know how many listeners you can reach by advertising on a Muddy Knees Media podcast? Loads! Every single episode of Galazzo Alone is listened to by nearly 100,000 of those hard-to-reach 25 to 44-year-old men. But we do plenty more shows than that now. We've got The Offside Rule with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. We've got The Offside Rule, WSL edition, the UK's premier women's football podcast. We've got Series Linked, a podcast that's dripping with celebrities. And then there's the rest of the Totally Football network, which includes the very lovely thetotallyfootballshow.com. If you'd like to talk about advertising with Muddy Knees Media, drop us a line on sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That's sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And listeners, don't keep the show to yourself. Leave us a review, rate us, share it with your friends, and subscribe wherever you listen to the rest of your podcasts and never miss an episode. At last, it's the Inzaghi Golazzo, as we salute Super Pippo, Calcio's frantic goal assassin, and ask, was he the best worst player of all time? Milan fans there at the end of Pippo's glorious 17-year career. A player who bewildered some in the game, but scored an equally bewildering quantity of goals. We have with us two Super Pippo fans, I think I'm right in saying. James Horncastle. Hello. And Gab Marcotti. Damn straight. All right, you're a Super Pippo fan, aren't you, Gab? Who isn't? No, actually, I'm not. Are you not? No. <laughs> I... I mean, look, I'm very grateful. I can respect his talent. I, I appreciate the, the character. But he's not, he's the kind of guy who, unless he plays on the team you support, you just find incredibly annoying. Now, I started out that way with Pippo, but despite the fact that he never played for the team I supported, I found myself with a deep affection. And in fact, going back and looking at some of the clips, I got quite emotional. And he, he does seem to touch on something within fans, not just Milan or previously Juve or Piacenza or, 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 or any other club's fans, but with the national team as well. What is it, do you think, about Inzaghi? That I think he is people? one of the most powerful avatars of this era, I suppose, in terms of like keying into Italian football in the 90s and 2000s. And he does seem to be quite quintessentially Italian in terms of what people have stereotypes about what football should be. That famous Cruyff quote about Italians can't beat you, but you can lose to them. And Inzaghi, I think, kind of sums that up in he wouldn't really do all that much in terms of general play for his team. He was that kind of ghost striker who would disappear, reappear, you would lose him. But you make a single mistake he would find a way of punishing you. Right. You mentioned Cruyff quotes, famous one about Inzaghi. Actually, he can't play football at all. He's just always in the right position. And there were so many quotes, so many quite denigrating remarks about uh, Pippo, Fergie, that lad must have been born offside. And then from some of his Milan teammates and other Italian footballers, Yap Stam at AC Milan, we did a rondo every day, but Inzaghi didn't participate because he knew that he'd be in the middle running after the ball. He couldn't keep up in the quick one-touch passing. Can you imagine being dissed, with all due respect, by Yip Yap Stam? Like, seriously, <laughs> the large Dutch man. You know, right. the, the, the guy who, like, like, they stick a needle into his eyebrow in, in, uh, against the Czech Republic at the Euros and he doesn't flinch right. because he has no feeling, and he has no feeling in his feet either. And yet... And yet he's still... He's Beckenbauer compared to... 
But people. James, I mean, this is the big thing about Inzaghi. I remember Paolo Maldini in an interview kind of saying how him and his Milan teammates would just roll around laughing during those kind of Di training Matteo, games. I think that you might have been there. Di Matteo joined us on Eurosport once and we were asking him about training in the national team. And he was the, the guy who said this quote that's also become quite famous about when Inzaghi turned up to Covacciano to train with the Azzurri, the first day everyone just stood and looked, my God, he actually can't play football. And I mean, there are others, Montella, he couldn't dribble, he couldn't shoot from distance. He had half the talent of many players who had half his success. Still to this day, says Montella, I can't explain to myself how on earth he scored so many goals. Well, Montella would say that given he beat him to the Capocannonieri crown in, in, when he was at, what, Atlanta. And, it's strange though, isn't it? And yet, Inzaghi, a player who captured every major trophy in the game, two Champions Leagues, three Scudetti, a, a World Cup as well, who scored more European goals than anybody bar Raul, Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, who were kind of in another category anyway. 2007, the great grudge match final against Liverpool. The Inzaghi final. The Inzaghi final, as it came to be known. And he scores two goals. Like, I think one with his, um, was it his shoulder and the other one or his mm-hmm. neck and, and the other one with his, <laughs> with his backside. After the game, people run onto the pitch to celebrate. There's a ball there. I, I forget who it was. Somebody from the bench, maybe it wasn't even a player. They start running towards the end where the Milan fans are. There's an empty goal there. Inzaghi's running with them to celebrate. This guy, whoever it is, knocks the ball in Zaghi's path. He seems a bit surprised that it's there. He sort of stumbles over it, knocks it forwards 10 yards, comes into the area. By this point, the, the, the fans are all watching him, and they know what he's going to do because there literally is no goalkeeper. And he hits this sort of weird diagonal finish, so just basically shanking it, and the ball just trickles out. And it, it, it summed him up because this was not a relevant goal. The game was over, and he rarely missed irrelevant goals. There's a great anecdote in Ancelotti's book where I think it's the the Bayern game. I think when was this, 2004-05? And they beat them 2-0 in Munich, and he says of Inzaghi's goal, he's aiming bottom right, he goes in top left, and he's offside. <laughs> and that just summed up Pippo. And, and also, like maybe this goes to why we have so much kind of fondness for Inzaghi because it, he is who you think about when you think of those latter Berlusconi years of Milan dominating in Europe and winning things which feels so so far away these days yeah and I think it's also the fact that he obviously upset people like Sir Alex Ferguson and if you were a fan of Italian football in the 90s him winding up Premier League fans was something that just endeared him even more and he did it for so very long 17 years in the top flight Ciao Belli, with novelty here, I wish I had Pippo Inzaghi's money. Pippo's 17-year top-flight career brought him all sorts of things, fame, money, succession of high-profile soubrette girlfriends. But meeting him, you got the strong impression that this was a man who really only cared about one thing, a man who was, in many ways, already married, and devotedly so, married to scoring goals. It's rare to see a player, and maybe this is another reason why he sparks such a connection with people, it's rare to see a player who's so intensely committed to success. But intensely committed without 
without having the physical or, or technical gifts. I mean, we always hear about great footballers and the tremendous work ethic. You know, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo's so good because, you know, he, he, he lives in like the cryogenic chamber and he only eats avocado and he does 500 press-ups when he wakes up. And we believe all that and it's plausible. And you say, oh, look, he wasn't just born that way. But Inzaghi wasn't born this way. But and he the, was equally dedicated, no? I mean, his Brazaula diet. Plasmon, which are those kind of baby rusks, yeah. which he would have for a dessert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Plasmon, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> so the interesting thing about Inzaghi as well is if you believe in the whole nature-nurture argument, you know, the fact that his brother was a much, much more gifted footballer than he was. I mean, much more talented. I mean, technically gifted. I mean, Simone Inzaghi, you, know, you can argue didn't reach the levels or whatever, but so you have an example right there in your house of your little brother being so much better than you. On top of that, Pippo Inzaghi had a reputation as sort of being, there's a certain type of, as you, I'm sure you know the term well in Italy, because you probably encountered many of them when you lived in Rome, James, mammoni, right? <laughs> so mama's boy, right? He literally is the guy who probably would leave the house in the morning, you know, when he lived with his mom and his mom would dress him and, you know, oh, people make sure you wear the scarf and, and whatever. So he was a certain type of every man. You know, I, I think a lot of people looked at him and said, you know, that, that could have been me. You know, you can relate to that. You can't relate to his best friend in football, Christian Vieri, because, you know, that guy is, 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 is a physical freak and, and is super talented or whatever. No, I think that's right, Gab, because Inzaghi's not tall. Like in terms of his like physical build, weedy, he's quite lithe, mm. um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't say someone who could dominate defenders or even his own dressing room, as we'll discuss a little bit later on. <laughs> Despite all of that, then he comes through with his hometown side Piacenza, has a not successful stint at Parma, but has his breakthrough year when he moves to Atalanta. Uh, in the mid-90s, Capo Cananieri there, 24 goals, scores against every team in the league that season, scores more goals, in fact, four more goals than all of his teammates combined that year, and is named Serie A Young Footballer of the Year. And uh, Juve go, fine, we can sell Christian Vieri then and bring in Inzaghi in his place to form this extraordinary lineup with Alessandro Del Piero and just behind Zinedine Zidane. There are a couple of coaches who are really important to Inzaghi's career who believed in him um, because of you know what they saw on the training pitch. This guy isn't a footballer, but let's play him anyway. One is Bortolo Muti, who had him at Lefe and then Hellas Verona. He scored 13 goals in the second division for a mid-table side. Um, also, I think playing in that team along with uh, Pesotto and Tamasi um, as well. And you look at kind of the top scorer charts in Serie B when Inzaghi was playing there. Talk about a kind of school to come up in you had Bierhoff who's at Ascoli you had Battistuta who was at Fiorentina that was Ranieri's Fiorentina which got up from the second division that year Chiesa was at Modena Tovalieri was at Bari and then you had Inzaghi um, who got 13 goals that year and then on the back of that moved to Atalanta where he was playing under Mondonico and Mondonico has that famous quote about Inzaghi which is um, he wasn't in love with goals goals were in love with him. Well, in his spell at Zingonia with uh, the Bergamaschi, he shared the training ground at times with a certain Richard Hughes, friend of this show. Richard's currently in Italy, but he joins us now to give us his take on Super Pitbull. Richard, how is it you came to be sharing a training ground with uh, Super Pitbull? 
Well, I was very fortunate, James. I was um, I was uh, an Atalanta youth team product, and uh, uh, I was uh, I just made the the grade in the in the Primavera. Uh, Emiliano Mondonico was uh, going through the paces for the weekend, uh, and you always like to to have a midweek game against um, a select eleven of the Primavera. And invariably, if you weren't going to play on a Saturday for the Primavera, Cesare Prandelli would consider you more dispendable if you like so if it was a Wednesday or Thursday game he would get the ones that weren't necessarily going to start on the, on the Saturday morning Primavera game and we would have to play against um, Atlanta's first team and uh, uh, and be in the receiving end of a, a very deflating uh, double figures defeat uh, in order to get the the, t- the first team um, ready for, for Sunday's game so uh, Inzaghi being one of the main components of Atalanta's uh, uh, awesome front three at the time, with, uh, Domenico Morfeo and uh, Gigi Lentini. Um, I was often given the task of, uh, of man-marking him. And um, despite the uh, demoralising uh, beatings I used to take, I still managed to somehow make it into professional football from there. Right. Richard, that's an extraordinary front three, but you're there man-marking Pippo Inzaghi. Could mm-hmm. he play football? Do you know what, Tim? <laughs> Obviously, but not as well as not as well as Eugene and Domenico Morfeo. Filippo Inzaghi was not, uh, was not a very good football in the pure sense of, of the word. Um, he used to, I remember distinctly, because I was just a 16-year-old trying to make the grade and trying to learn from everywhere I could. So, of course, compared to me, he was, uh, he was unbelievable. However, um, during the games, there were so many times that his teammates, and there were other good players, not just the, the other two playing alongside him, um, De Paola, Marcos Gros, um, for the back end of pitch, people like uh, Tacchinardi and Montero, there were, there were some really good players there that often used to criticize or have a go at Inzaghi for making the wrong runs at the wrong time, and and he would always want the ball. That was the one the one thing that really struck me. His enthusiasm and his desire was uh, was hard to keep up with um, when you were man marking. You know, he was constantly running in behind. I wasn't sure whether I should be going with him or let him run offside because his runs were sometimes so poorly timed that I thought should I let him run. But you know, it, so, so there's all these things that I was considering, and his teammates were getting frustrated with the, almost with his enthusiasm because they wanted to dictate the play, like um, slow the play down and sort of keep the ball for a bit. Whereas Inzaghi always wanted to penetrate, always wanted to get him behind. Sometimes the ball would come up to him, James. It would bounce off his knee. It would bounce off his shin. And and you'd think that you were controlling him. You would think that you were, you know, I'm I'm up against it. I'm nicking the ball in front of him. I'm I'm sort of competing with Inzaghi. But then he always found a way of coming away from these games with a hat trick. You thought I was going to say just one goal, but with a hat trick, wow. the ball would, you know, some someone would hit a penalty. Keeper would save it. There he was to put the rebound in. <laughs> Cross would come in, hit the post, bounce off him. His goals weren't pretty. Um, so could he play? Absolutely. One of my favourite players of all time, and, and uh, almost when my when I felt my career had gone full circle when I when I played against Inzaghi in a UEFA Cup match when I was at Portsmouth, and uh, and he did to us in the closing minutes of that game uh, what he had done to me when I was a, a 16, 17 year old. He scored a scrappy goal to to break my heart. Um, it, it actually was the goal to break the European record at the time or him and Raul were, were doing it you know one was breaking one week and the other the next and uh, and he did it in 90 odd minute uh, 92nd minute or whatever it was scrapping goal and nearly was and it was almost like I was part of that team that just conceded a last second equaliser and it was part of the inside that was smiling thinking that's what he does that's, that's <laughs> why he is <laughs> Oh!
You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So the move to Juventus and what turned out to be initially a, a brilliant partnership with Alessandro Del Piero again. Yeah, but I think again, before and then again, this show goes to Pippo Inzaghi and why he is an everyman hero was the fact that even Juve, when he arrived, I mean, I was reminding myself of this because yes, Christian Vieri left, but it's not like Juve said, oh, look, we've just sold Christian Vieri for, you know, a bazillion billion. Now let's, let's get Inzaghi to replace him. You want to talk strikers. I'm just looking at their squad from that year. Um, in addition to the aforementioned Del Piero, they also had Marcelo Salayeta. They also had uh, Daniel Fonseca. I'm looking at the team now. They did said, they have Ischneider? They did not have Ischneider, <laughs> but, um, but they had Nicola Moruso back when oh, wow, people yeah. still thought. And they still had Michele Padovano. They brought him in, I think, as one of many just in case things didn't quite work out. Because, right. you know, and the manager was Marcello Lippi, as much as we love Marcello Lippi. He's not going to play, you know, Zidane plus three strikers. It's going to be, and he's always going to play Del Piero. So it was one of those situations where they had a lot of bodies just in case. Mm. Super people turned out to be less than super. All right, but he turned out to be pretty super. The pair combined for 39 goals, him and Del Piero, in that first season. Things took a wrong turn in the second when Del Piero gets injured and when he comes back. It's fair to say their relationship was not the same. It's good now, though, and they can laugh about this and joke about it. But, yeah, there's a famous game against Venezia where I think Del Piero is coming back from injury. And the right thing to do, I suppose, given Inzaghi had already scored, was just to square it for him. It's an open goal. And what does Inzaghi do? He doesn't. He claims not to have seen him. And he goes past the goalkeeper and puts it in. And you can see Del Piero, rather than run over and celebrate with him, is just stood there just like, well, this guy. This has been building because the stats of the passing between them had just fallen off a cliff through that, that season. And I think after that game, there were suggestions that the pair had even come to blows. Venuti Alemani. Did you ever see that happen? I was trying to picture in my mind. How could it ever happen? How could Del Piero ever physically attack somebody right i could imagine inzaghi doing so in a very effete sort of way and like which is just a lot of yipping and yapping and move, waving his arms but but del piero i've never did you believe that story well it's so implausible no. i mean when you hear del piero speak you can't imagine him ever kind of saying anything no. in anger um i could imagine them sending surrogates to do it well like, montero yes <laughs> and you get now what Mon, Mon, montero would be off the charge at all you'd have to make two like one guy gets salayeta the other guy gets juliano right and like you know what was clear was that the pair no longer functioned as a, as a partnership inzaghi with that great quote at the time do you remember when he said in the face of some criticism he'd been on a bit of a scoring drought he said uh, if they're now questioning me that's the end of football <laughs> <laughs> or maybe football just doesn't exist. It didn't need to not. exist for Inzaghi. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a great clip on online from Inzaghi was a guest on on Sky Italia. Who, this was when he was coach of Bologna, and Del Piero was a studio guest. And they play that Venezia game, and uh, Inzaghi is very keen to point out that occasionally he did pick out players. In in fact, he, he actually set up a goal for Roberto Baggio, no less, in the '98 World Cup against Austria. Um, so he did occasionally see his teammates, but more often than not, he forgot that football was a team sport. However much the relationship had broken down, 2001, Juve decide that they can let Inzaghi go. He moves to Milan, which turns out to be a brilliant transfer for him. He's there for 11 seasons, partnering with Shevchenko in the early glory years, beating Juventus to one Champions League shortly afterwards, scoring the brace that won Milan another one in 2007 over Liverpool, and generally being a legend. I suppose it's one of those things, though, where that was the summer they sold 
Pipo and they sold Zidane as well. And then they reinvested that money in Buffon, Nedved. They buy Churam and Cannavaro as well. But definitely Churam, I think. Yeah. And they would say that, you know, in terms of you know, what matters to Juventus at the time, winning league championships and being dominant domestically, then selling Inzaghi for huge money was maybe worthwhile. But I think everyone won here, maybe, I suppose. Mm. When I arrived in, in Milan, I think it's fair to say enthusiasm wasn't particularly high. The curious thing, if you're Inzaghi, you're thinking, okay, look, now I'm gone. I, there was also a narrative that it built at Juventus, because you remember they they finished twice in those two years mm. with Ancelotti as manager. And there was a narrative, as you recall, Juve fans, some of them, because they're not very clever, not kind of sad to see Ancelotti go, the whole thing about the pig, even though obviously people know that the only reason Ancelotti didn't win the title those two years was because of right. the universal downpour decreed by our maker, who said it would be unfair if Juve won another title, so I'll give it to Lazio. And... Uh, what kind of God football... wants Lazio to win the title? Yeah. Well, relative to Juve? Come well, on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, the Italian FA changing the rules halfway through the season so that Hidetoshi Nakata could be on the pitch. And of course, Edwin van der Sark having his blue period at the time, throwing it into the back of his own net. Otherwise, he would have two more titles than he has now. Mm. Okay. I, I jest a little bit, but, but that was the feeling. So Inzaghi's thinking, all right, I'm out of there. He's out of there too, but I won't see this dude for a while. Now I can go and I can conquer Milan, where the nightlife, of course, is much better than in Turin. And then after eight matches, like two months, the manager, the emperor, Fatih Turim, gets sacked. And who turns up at Milanello? It's Carlo Ancelotti. But it worked out well, no, Gab? Oh, I think the numbers speak for themselves. Right. I and mean, you rattled them off earlier. And eight trophies. I mean, I think nobody would have expected this contribution. And I think he made himself valuable later in his career, too, when I right. couldn't run as much, where, you know, he would be the impact sub guy. You know? Yeah, and, and, and this is another thing, James, is that Inzaghi retires when he's like 40. Mm -hmm. So he, his career was a lot longer than a lot of other top strikers in, in Serie A. And I think it's precisely that, because he, he wasn't necessarily relying on his body. He was relying on his, his mind, even though he was super disciplined about the shape he kept himself in. But scoring goals was all up there. Mm. Not Instinct. Exactly. Instinct. Well, let's talk about possibly his defining game at Milan, the 2007 final in, in Athens, and a real testament to his ability to weave through alchemy football gold from very, very base metals. So rematch the 2005 final, Milan facing the side that had snatched Champions League glory from them in such dramatic fashion two years before. Milan, let's recall not having a vintage year at all. They just sold off a bunch of players, Ricosta, etc. after the, the yeah, Calciopoli. Because they had Kaká. Yeah, but they'd also had Calciopoli and they'd been hit with a points penalty and they'd lost money and all that kind of thing. And Pippo himself, 2007, already seemed like he was on maybe the downward slope past his best. He was 33 by this point. He'd spent half of that season in a goal drought. And when it came to the final, Ancelotti basically had the choice uh, Ronaldo who was there was cup tied so the choice I think was uh, Giladino or Pippo who in Ancelotti's words is half dead <laughs> <laughs> but even half a Pippo proved to be decisive but it is Pelo Corre, 
Conte da parte di Zaghi. There's that great line from Ancelotti when it came to his decision making as to who should go in the team, Giladino or Inzaghi. It's like Giladino's in better form, but Pippo is Pippo. Pippo is Pippo, and he certainly was that night. The goal on the brink of half time, deflecting, let's say, Pirlo's free kick into the net, and then. Worked on the training ground, apparently. Is that right? Well, that's what they joke. All right. And then uh, the 82nd minute, he takes the ball from Kaká, nice little through ball, and takes it around Pepe Reina, shows control, and makes it two. It finishes 2-1. He got a brace in the World Club Championship Cup final thing, whatever well, no, they no. call that. Well, James, that means a hell of a lot to right. Milan, and it also means a lot more to, I think, Italians than it does in this country. Right. Certainly, if you talked about the interim Milan teams in the 60s going over to Argentina and playing in these really hostile environments and coming away with that trophy. It was definitely prestigious. And Juventus beating Argentinos juniors in Tokyo in 1985. Oh, the greatest disallowed goal of all time. I was there. Oh, really? Yes, wow. I was in Tokyo. I've told the story many Sorry. times. You, you went over and, who was it? Was it Platini came over and talked to you? Well, that was, no, Platini ignored a lot of us before the oh, game. Oh, okay. Yes, but Boniperti and Trapattoni were very happy. Okay. And they were all chit-chatty. And, uh, so why do you hate Juventus so much? I don't hate Juventus. Come, come, Mr. Marcotti. I do not hate <laughs> you, you were You were writing Inzaghi's exploits off against Boca Juniors. No, I, I where, wasn't writing it off. The, the thing was, is, yeah. he scores in the Champions League final. He scores twice. Yeah. He scores in the European Super Cup against Sevilla. They beat them in that. And then they win the Club World Cup and he scores twice against Boca. Right. I mean, those are three... What For Berlusconi, those games really, really mattered. Not just the Champions League. And... I don't know about you, Gab, but do you remember in that time at, Mi- at Milan, they would have on the, like their website, it was like the La Squadra Più Titolata Al Mondo. Their jersey. The most decorated team in the world. They'd won more trophies than and anyone else in the world. They had an ongoing dispute with Boca Juniors about yeah. which trophies you can have. This is in Italy. Like, we know how, like, you know, something we, we mock Mourinho because he counts the community shield. As you know, in Italy, where we're, we're kind of saddos when it comes to this kind of stuff, like, Milan certainly go and count stuff like the Super Cup. You know, played in front of a goat in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> um, this stuff really, really, really matters. I mean, Milan at the time, they tried to include the Trofeo Berlusconi in there until I think people eventually said, hey, no, enough. Right. And remember, the president had this obsession in repeating over and over again on television political career how, I, I love this phrase, like, I am the most successful. I've won more uh, as a club president than any club president in history. Who even counts things like that from the perspective of a club president or club chairman? And then also, because it's typical Berlusconi, it's not actually true. Somebody actually goes back and counts and sees like, oh, look, Alfredo Di Stefano was president of Real Madrid for, for, for 30 odd years and he won more than you did. Do you think at Milan they count the Trofeo Gamper? The reason of course, I ask, the Gamper is important. Right. Against Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, there's the Gamper and the Bernabeu trophy. Okay. You don't get to play them every year, but right. you should count them. Well, um, if we're going to talk about Pippa's goals, he scored one in 2010 against Barcelona in the Trofeo Gamper, which is quite extraordinary for a player who everybody says can't play. Just an amazing strike. Ancora cercare Inzaghi, la conclusione di Inzaghi, mamma mia, che gol ha fatto Pippo al Camp Nou di Barcellona. It's a diagonal ball kind of hoofed over the top. And the last thing you expect to see is Inzaghi flying through the air, stretching out to reach it and volleying it from outside the area. Boom, into the bassinet. Just magnificent. Do you have a favourite Inzaghi goal, James? Yeah, there's, again, one from a Champions League game against Lyon. 
um, which uh, Sheva again says is just sums him up because Sheva, by far the more technically gifted player, obviously a Ballon d'Or winner, he has a shot from, I think, just outside of the box. It hits one post, it hits the other post. It doesn't go in, but who's there to ensure that it does go in? It's yes. Pippo Inzaghi. Yes. Salta Ambrosini, la palla è passata. Shevchenko. Shevchenko. Sì, sì, sì. 2-1 He scored two goals in that game, which is the first that he opened the scoring with a header. That was a 3-1 win for Milan in the uh, 2005-2006 Champions League campaign. And uh, yeah, what a what, what a classic Inzaghi moment. As Sheva says, the quintessential Inzaghi goal. You also were talking before about uh, his goal against the Czech Republic in 2006. If you remember, Italy opened the tournament against, uh, against Ghana and, uh, and won, won, won nil, I think. Yaquinta, uh, I think, was it? And then the second game was the game against the U.S., where that was the game when Daniele De Rossi attempted to decapitate Brian McBride. And so that set up a situation where, in the third game, Italy kind of had to win to get the, the proper draw and whatever. And his goal is a counterattacking goal where, I, and I spoke to one of his teammates, Marco Materazzi, about this, and he's thinking, okay, hit it, hit it, hit it, and instead he keeps, keeps taking like a million touches. And you see Peter Cech kind of falling onto his backside and like scrambling and I, you should, this is a clip that needs to be watched in slow motion because Peter Cech is like some kind of bear, like reaching out with his paws, and you it's just know like he's, he's going to get ice it. Ice hockey pads on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Inzaghi exactly. just seems he's run to run half the field, by the way, with the ball. I mean, he's, he's it's a long solo effort. This. Yeah, and like, there's no reason, like textbook, there's no reason for you not to take the ball early. As soon as you get close enough to Peter Cech, Cech was also out of position uh, as well. No, he decides to take him on and put Peter Cech on his backside. Like, like, like he forgets that, you know, he's in his 30s now. He can't run like that. And yet he doesn't have the delicate touch. And yet he, he almost takes the ball really close to Czech to make Czech come out and then, and then takes it all away. And both Materazzi on the field and, and me watching, I'm thinking like, like this idiot's going to waste his chance. Right. Well, and this also became a joke within the national team camp at the time because you mentioned Inzaghi runs a long way. Simone Barone also runs a long way. And as Gab mentions, he's taking so much time. The easier thing to do would be to square it to Barone. But he doesn't. He goes himself because he's Inzaghi and he scores. Okay. Course, but but he does. But they were all apparently saying, passala, passala, pass the ball. And then for the next, what, two, three weeks of them being in their sort of training camp, whenever, you know, they were at the table for lunch or for dinner, it came to like passing the salt. It'd be pasalo or something. They would just have all these kind of variations of these kind of just pass it, pass it, Pippo, pass it. The persecution. Right, it just coming back to me, Simone Barone <laughs> at the edge of the box. Right. No, yeah, because that's what Mark was saying. Like, hit it because there were there, there Look, was somebody trailing. Right? What do you want? They were one. I know, up against... but what was the point? And you were making <laughs> they were one it so nil up difficult. already against a ten-man Czech team. And who scored? The, well, the first goal was oh wait 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 oh Matarazzi did it was the Matrix it was the Matrix this All right, was his anyway. tournament but he can have his own goal so another time in the final as well yeah 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 that'll be in a future episode right <laughs> now let's just talk penalty kick in the final let's talk about the fact that Inzaghi got seventy goals it was seventy wasn't it in Europe I think the last two were when he came on age thirty seven in the Champions League against Real Madrid two thousand and ten and scored twice for Milan just still had it and then he did shortly after that he does his ACL 
Gab, would you take a 46-year-old Pippo Inzaghi over Piontek right now? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> they would be equally infuriating. Well, Milan made the decision in 2012 that the end had finally arrived. May the 13th, Milan take the field at San Siro against Novara. And it's an emotional occasion because it's farewell to Pippo Inzaghi, but also to Gattuso, to Nesta, to Seydolf, players who'd won two Champions League finals and so much more with the club. This was the end. This is when they sold Ibra, they sold Thiago Silva to PSG, and then they basically said goodbye to all these legends, the the veterans. And they weren't going out with a bang either. Milan were toiling 1-1 with Novara when Pippo comes on late on and Super Pippo does sign off in style. incredible reaction there from the San Siro crowd Seidorf with a lob pass over which Inzaghi chest down and then he curls his half volley past the Novara keeper and the club go into meltdown at the stadium and in the studios there's that incredible reaction from Tiziano Crudelli people people It's amazing. Here is a man who's given his life to Milan in tears at this final act of gold generosity from one of its greatest servants. What a way to finish his long career, to come in and one last time score the decisive goal for your club. And that was it. He hangs up his boots after that. And it's a good thing that he went before VAR came in, though, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, how many goals would have been chalked off yeah. I suppose but I, I think one of the great things about Inzaghi was the celebrations no mm. the goalgasm just like how much it kind of the release uh, for him because I suppose if you're not involved in play if you don't judge your performances by assists or you know how well you've made the team play and you just judge it solely on goals mm. the release must be and in an era in which he wasn't judged on XG progression <laughs> <laughs> but no I mean, the, the fact that while some players, you question their commitment to the team, it was absolutely clear how much Pippo lived to score for, in, in this case, Milan. Inzaghi then retires in 2012, having won the uh, Cavaliere Ordine al Merito della Repubblica Italiana. So he, that makes him a knight? Yeah, although I think everybody who won the World Cup, even Simone Barone, who is funny because that's a guy you thought you would never mention ever again. Yeah. You know, like in, in the same way, people you said, said like, you know, Marco he will be. Amelia. Well, Marco Amelia is cool, though, because he stuck around and whatever. He went to Chelsea, you know, and he's, he has some visibility. But I kind of feel like Simone Barone is just a dude who played for Palermo and, like, materialized in Chievo and teams like that, materialized right. at the World Cup. He was also the guy who would play ping pong against Gigi Buffon. Nice. Uh, in the training camp of 2006 and would beat Buffon at ping pong. And Buffon, I think after one stinging loss, turned around and kicked whatever was near him. And I think it was a glass kind of partition, which then could have kind of, a shard of it could have fallen and pierced or, you know, sort of gone into his foot or into his hand. And, you know, Italy maybe don't win the World Cup. That's an incredible what-if scenario. But anyway, so Pippo Inzaghi has retired, has become a Cavaliere, and becomes also a manager First of all, with Milan's Primavera, then takes over from Seidorf, with whom he had a fairly tense 
training ground relationship before that move. A great start at Milan, but only last one season there. Goes to Venezia, brings them up from C to B, and, and then almost takes them to Serie I Got them into the playoffs, yeah. Where Which he gets is beaten. why he gets the Bologna gig. Bologna didn't work out. He's only there half a season, long enough to lose 2-0 to his brother, who's now managing Lazio. But his latest move does seem to be going extremely well. Yeah, he's with uh, Le Streghe, the, the witches of uh, of the... What part of Italy is that? The San, Sanino? What is that? No, no, I think Saniti is Lecce. No, but San- Benevento, ah, okay. Benevento is in Campania. Campania, no. So, so it's, it's just between inland, Naples and Avellino. Mm. And they are... In fact, uh, if you watch The Sopranos, their family, they're all from Avellino. Really? But some of them, some of their cousins are from Benevento. <laughs> I really want to get Gab to go on a deep dive <laughs> on on that, but let's not. Let's leave that for another day. But they, as we record, Benevento are top, and they have never been behind this season. Wow! And I think that's you know, in terms of like but some. This of the, is another one of those things, like in the same way that we knew that he scored a lot, and we had no idea how the hell he did it. Maybe it's the same thing with him managing and saving. Maybe he's like the Novellino. Of, of managers or the Yakini, he just, he just gets teams up from you know the third to the second division or or even further than that. But his teams are also really negative. You know, for a guy who scored loads and loads and loads of goals, he got sacked at Bologna because his team never scored. And then right. Sinisa Mihailovic comes in and they become the most exciting team. Well, there's that famous scene. Well, famous, but I mean, you 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 brought it up. That scene of him in his first proper stint at Milan, where he's there in front of the players in the dressing room, and Berlusconi comes in and effectively treats him a bit like a kid who's been hauled up in front of class to recite his homework. He says, what is it that a manager says to his players? And Pippo says, attack. And and Silvio says, no, louder than that, because you're at the stadium. So Pippo goes, attack. And Silva keeps pushing him, saying, no, you have to speak louder. And Pippa does as loud as one possible. He says, I don't have any voice left. And then Berlusconi just booms out, attack, 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 completely destroying any credibility that Pippa might have enjoyed. Attaccare! Ma devi gridarlo forte. Attaccare! Quindi prova a sentire se ti sentono. Attaccare! Più forte. <laughs> più forte, perché è nello stadio. Attaccare! And then there's that Adel Rami line. You know, one of the great successes to uh, Maldini, Badesi, Costa Curta. former boyfriend. Exactly. And, uh, a, and a, one of the most handsome men to play football for Milan, would you agree? Yeah, no, without, yeah, without doubt. Um, yeah, that great partnership of him and Philippe Maxès. Um, oh, but he, he, he came out with this line saying, you know, I think he was asked by L'Equipe, you know, what are you going to do when you finish playing? And yeah, he clearly had aspirations beyond being Pamela Anderson's boyfriend. And he said, well, I, I think I might try my hand at coaching because Pippo Inzaghi's taught me that if he can do it, anyone can do it. Wow. <laughs> Harsh. He's retired, but they're still talking trash about him. For my part, I'll say however it goes, he's been one of the greatest names of one of the greatest eras the Italian game so thank you Super Pippo al centro c'è Inzaghi il cross Inzaghi Inzaghi 1-0 grazie Pippo grazie 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 Pippo grazie Pippo grazie Pippo grazie Thank you, Gabriele Marcotti, and thank you, James Horncastle, and thank you, listener, for being with us for this edition of Golazzo. 
Remember, there are a whole bunch of other ones out there. Uh, also dropping with this, our take on a little club in the far-flung northeastern corner of Italy, Udinese, which once, somehow, played host to Zico. Anyway, you can hear all of that in another Golazzo for now from all of us here. It's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>